0: Father, thank you for this morning and the time we have with the word of God. Lord, this is, uh, it is a privilege to hear about the structure of your church and the care that you've given your church and the consistency of what you have promised and how you came through. Help us to adore you because you're faithful. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so 300 miles north of Jerusalem is Antioch, all right? So Antioch is this multicultural uh, town. Uh, They have this missions-minded leadership, and they have sent Paul and Barnabas out to do missions work in non-Jewish territory uh, up in Turkey. Uh, Our our understanding is the area is Turkey, and they come back after seeing conversions of the Gentiles. And there have been, in the book of Acts, we've had numerous Gentile conversions through uh, through chapters um, 9 and 10 and following. We've already seen, uh, particularly one, one, many of them are highlighted. Peter, when he goes to the Roman centurion's house, uh, Nic- uh, Cornelius, I was say Cornelius and there's a large gathering there and these are non-jews who are brought to faith and Peter goes back and others go back and report uh, to Jerusalem what's going on and so Acts 15 uh, there is trouble you can sense it right there is trouble uh, there's real trouble the gospel is at stake the drama is that there is a, a group um, a group called the party of the Pharisees now they're not having a party. Um, they are a subgroup that's somehow part of the Jerusalem church. We don't know much about them, but they're still holding on to the, they are professing believers, they are, but they're still holding on to the, the name Pharisee. Well, that tells you something about them, right? Now, they have a big concern about this movement that Paul and Barnabas have been involved with about the non-Jews, right? And so the question is, where is God working, right? Where is God working? And their presentation is, well, God is working in the past and connecting the past to the future in this way. We've got to make these people Jews in uh, in, in almost every aspect of being Jewish. And, uh, well, this isn't what Paul told... The people up in the towns that he visited. He preached Christ, believe in Christ, and he put no extraneous or ex- external laws upon these people, meaning just preach Christ. And so the question is where is God working? And of course, God has already been demonstrating I'm working here, the day of Pentecost. I'm working here, Ethiopian eunuch, uh, the chariot. I'm working here, Cornelius. Uh, Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius' house, right? I'm working here. Where is God working? I am blessing the the Gentiles, the non-Jews. All right, So so this is the famous Jerusalem council. Now, this is where the idea comes from that if, if you've bumped into some of church history, there are councils in church history. So the Council at Ephesus, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Constantinople, the Council of Chalcedon. If you've, if you've come across any of these, if you've bumped into these things, it's the idea of that. Well, you mean, the church gathers and assembles, and leaders gather and assemble and and figure out something—the doctrine of Christ. They figure out the doctrine of the Trinity. They trying to trying to be pastoral and help the church, right? So, this is where it comes from. Now, I can't cover. Acts fifteen without preaching Presbyterianism, I can't do it. I just got to give you. I got to give you the insights. I gave you the goods. Here it is. You see, what's happening here is there is a representative government system at work here. Representatives from the established churches are gathering in Jerusalem in order they have been they, they've been authorized to be a representative, and they are there to chime in, to listen to the debate, and to vote, right? It's fascinating, uh, this whole idea of American government. Uh, where do we get this idea of, well, kings are not big into voting, are they, right? Kings, I don't think they ever have ballot boxes in, you know, old England, right? So so the idea that you vote, who is going to rep- represent you? Well, the Roman government had had something like this. The Greeks had something like this, right? So it's fascinating how, how Presbyterianism uh, did have an influence on the shaping of our American government. So representative government is what you have in the PCA, right? So I am here uh, on behalf of a regional government, as it were. I'm doing ministry. I'm accountable to Presbytery. Uh, I have to give reports to Presbytery. I have to, you know, they. That's that, that's in a sense my church, as it were, and then I have represented you at General Assembly. Uh, I've voted on your behalf um, uh, when the church gathers at a national assembly. Right? So there's 2,000 of us there, and you have a electronic little voting device and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's that's representative government, right? It's a series of courts, as it were, courts, right? All right, so. Local, regional, national. Now, isn't that fascinating? I mean, you're on the edge of your seat, right? Isn't that something? Okay. Well, meaning not everyone is interested in this subject, but it is for your care and it is for your good, okay? Um, We in the United States have been heavily influenced by pragmatism and sort of practical things like, well, when the United States got started, there were these stodgy Presbyterians and other groups like stuck in big cities like Boston, and doing things very slowly and procedurally and parliamentarians and very slowly and there were other groups who were out on on the western plains out were you know f- out with the farmers out in barns preaching right and they were like they were just out there doing it and what happened was that they 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 Began to adopt this kind of idea of the independent church, right? And well, I like that pastor. He's a cool guy. He's a he's one of us. He's, in other words, the personality of the pastor, not the not the pastor's theology so much, right? Um, began to shape us. So this is, this is we have all been influenced by this. So the independent church has been influenced by that way of of of, of doing church, right? And I I think obviously I'm a in this Presbyterian thing. For the good of it and the protection of me as well, uh, but for the average church member, it's for your good. So this, this, uh, so let, let's again let's just take a look at, at, at this idea of. of how the church is is structured. I provided for you an outline there for you, and I've got some extensive quotes for you on 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 what this government thing is. There, you might want to look at that. But bottom line is, they're defending the gospel. If you've got someone saying Jesus is okay, but that's the that's the tell. <laughs> that's the tell. Something's wrong here, right? No one would ever really probably put it that way. It's, but if you've got, if you're in a church situation where someone is saying Jesus is good and important, and then you hear a kind of, but we want to make sure, but right, well, what do you, what do you mean, what are you saying, what are you proposing, right? You want to listen, listen carefully, all right, um, and um, you want to hear the gospel. Now, what's happening here? Well you have, uh, you have uh, a gathering that's going to drive home that the Jews who now believe in Jesus are reflecting on how they came into the kingdom and God did not look at their Jewishness as if this qualified them or made them better. They are taking the humble stance. Our Jewishness did not gain us anything. And they're, they're, they're in their hometown, uh, the speakers at the Jerusalem Council, the hometown, and they are in a Jewish town saying being Jewish doesn't count for anything. That's pretty bold. Um, and they're giving testimonial evidence that the Gentiles have come to faith and are expressing genuine conversion, and God has cleansed them, and God has brought them in. The drama of this meeting is they've got to settle this issue, come to one mind about how God brings people into saving grace, what is inclusion, and then communicate this back to the Gentiles, who are probably on the edge of their seats, wondering, what is going on here? Is it bad to be Greek? Do I have to get rid of my Greek customs in order to be a Christian? This is a critical moment. This is one of the most unique things about Christianity. A number of religions are sort of ethnocentric or regionally centric meaning uh, you're never really part of the in crowd unless you are part of some location, some place, for instance Islam. every translation of the Quran is corrupted because it's not in Arabic. So you have this regional central thing and that it's a monolithically uh, monolithic cultural view of things. Christianity is the true multicultural, if we call it a religion, meaning the Greeks can still be Greek, have their Greek dancing, Greek salads, all that. (laughs) And the Greeks can still have their culture and be Christian. Now, we're going to hear Paul preach to the Greeks in Acts 17, and he is going to highlight their idolatry. So we come into as, if in, as missionaries, we come into our missionary context, our culture, and we embrace the Bengali people. We embrace their language, we embrace their beauty, embrace their, their culture, and we are watching for what aspects of the culture have enslaved them in idolatry. And we speak to that not out of sense of superiority. become part Norwegian like me. <laughs> Don't do that. We, we, we come and say in great with great humility, turn, turn from idolatry. Now, how does this sort of, just first off, defending the gospel, defending the gospel, this is what happens here. And of course, it's pretty clear here when uh, particularly when Peter speaks up. And I just want you to see how Look at verse 8 of chapter 15. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. Peter is saying, God is the pace setter here. How did God bear witness to them? By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he has made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. If the concern you have, party of the Pharisees, is these what these people eat? It, I will be defiled by by being in their presence. What they eat, these these non Jews, right? Peter's saying, "Well, if you want to be cl- cleansed, you are already cleansed, as as clean as you can possibly be, because the Holy Spirit is in you. If God has determined that you are acceptable by faith." And he has brought forgiveness of sins to you and given you the guarantee of the Spirit. Uh, what is bacon? <laughs> what is food? See, you see his argument? If, if the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles and is abiding in the Gentiles, there is no distinction. That's how we are Christians. We aren't Christians by our Jewish traditions. Now, how, do, how does this sort of apply to us? Now, how, do you, how would you put this uh, into, for your life? First of all, um, think about what, what gives you status. Think about what gives you an identity. And think, think about where, so each of you, you have different ethnicities out here represented. You have different backgrounds, different um, cultures, different achievements, um, right? Right? And all of those are great. And you may even think of yourself in terms of, that's my identity. That's who I am. I'm, I'm an officer in, in the military. That's who I am. Well, let's, di- let's step back a minute. And that might be at level two or level three. But your first identity is not there, right? It's not in anything that you are in this world. Your first identity is that you were brought into the kingdom by grace. And you are a child of God. By grace. That is your first and primary identity. How how else this might? This might also, how might we apply this to our lives? First of all, notice the instinct to dispense law. Did you catch that from the party of the Pharisees? The instinct to dispense law. The breakdown in relationships is we can't love this person we can't love these non Gentiles, these non Jews, unless they are obeying. Obeying the law. All of us—we've talked about this before—we are all dispensing law. We, we dispense law to our husbands. We dispense laws to our wives, meaning we we are quick to gravitate toward not toward grace, but toward rules and law. And uh, we, we've often talked about if someone breaks our rules, you know, like how the house is supposed to be kept, right? They broke they broke a rule. Then you you no longer love them, right? Okay, so you can sense when you're with someone. By the way, do you ever sense do you ever sense this the, the the sense of law when you're around someone, right? I'm I'm not am I dressed am I okay, right? You're, you you sense you start trying to figure out how I can gain approval. So we want to watch in our relationships how we are dispensing law. And God gave us grace and gave law to Jesus. Jesus was a rebel, as it were, representing us as rebels. He received law, and we received grace. So, all right. So, now, secondly, defining what kind of king we have. Now, this is fascinating. Uh, Peter has Peter has preached, uh, or at least given a speech. They've cleansed; uh, God has cleansed their hearts by faith. And then the the council then is awfully quiet after Peter speaks. Um, and uh, he look look at the verse eleven. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And verse twelve. And all the assembly fell silent. The ground at the cross is level. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, now James, uh, he might be the biblical scholar in the room, uh, who knows, but um, James steps up and he's been thinking, no doubt thinking before this meeting, wait a minute, This is the long-promised arrival of of what God had said would come when one of David's sons would be on the throne. When David is uh, getting close to dying, he turns to God in a conversation and says, oh God, I want to build a temple for you, a house for you. I want to build something for you. And God, in 2 Samuel seven twelve turns the conversation around and says, No, David, I'm going to build something for you. And what God promises is a kind of house for David, but this is a dynastic house. David, one of your sons will always be on your throne. And that is my response to your desire to honor me. This is how I will be honored. One of your sons will honor me, and he will do it forever. Now, that is what we call the Davidic covenant, okay? That promise sustained Israel when everything fell apart. When people were coming back from the Babylonian captivity, that promise was something they sang about. God's going to restore Zion, God's going to bring back the great days of David the glory days of David are going to return and they come back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity and it's a disaster it's like a whole a whole forest has grown in and it never they never rebuild the kingdom really. there's never a king again they don't really obey God that faithfully and they get run over by all kinds of nations. Well, where's the promise of David? And this is why Mary and Joseph and so many in the early chapters of Matthew and Luke are excited because David's son, Jesus, has been born. Meaning what? The great days of David have returned, meaning the kingdom has arrived. And what is the kingdom? What, what kingdom is like David's kingdom? Well, David expanded the borders of Israel for protection. He finally took care of the Philistines. Remember how many years the Philistines were a problem? David took care of them. David pushed the borders of Israel out, meaning the expansiveness of the kingdom and the glory of the kingdom was that was that since David is king, and here's how you define a good king. A good king lets you do your work. A good king, if you're a farmer in a field, you don't have to always be looking over your shoulder wondering if the Philistines are going to attack you. If you've got David as king, don't worry about the Philistines anymore. Get on with your life. Peace to you. That's what a good king is. Now, the great days of David don't arrive in the days of Israel but they arrive in the days of Christ. This Christ is the one. And now what's James doing here in Acts 15? James is reflecting on this going, wait a minute. The inclusion of Gentiles is the fulfillment of Amos 9.11 and other prophets. This is the restoration of Zion, the new Zion, the restoration of God's people in the final David. This is is that, is that making sense there to you? So this is why James stands up and he says, this is biblical. The inclusion of the Gentiles is part of the kingdom of Jesus. Where is God working is the question of Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem council. And James says he is working through the king who's been established, Jesus. So... All right. Now, how does that relate to you? God has established a new mediator in Jesus. How might that relate to you? Well, you Americans who are so independent and used to voting your leaders into office get used to monarchy. Do you know that under the government of Jesus you are in a monarchy? Uh I can sense that doesn't didn't go over well. That's what we have. When we talk about a king, we who come out of this thing where you install people by votes, we've got to get a little adjusted to this. And as this Jerusalem council begins to unfold and they can make the conclusion of Gentiles, be sensitive right? Be sensitive to Jews. That's essentially what they say. It says here, this is what James says, verse 19, therefore my judgment, this is James, and it's always good, let me tell you. I've been in presbytery meetings, confusion for four hours. (laughs) And then there's someone who stands up, that man made sense right there. And I think we can have lunch. If we just listen to that man, we can have lunch. My point is this. There's always, always after debate and uh, somewhat confusion, despair. (laughs) Where's this going? I'm telling you, God brings the right person to make sense of things. It happens at elders meetings. It happens at presbytery meetings. And I've seen it happen with two thousand pastors and elders at General Assembly, one person with a microphone making sense. Biblically sense. It's great. Here's here's praise God for James. Here he is. Therefore my judgment is that you should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain, and these are the four things. Polluted by idols, sexual immorality, what's been strangled, and from blood. Now, commentaries struggle. What on earth are they saying? Essentially, the the pagans had a lot of idolatry, sexual immorality associated with their temples. Okay, Christians, Christian Gentiles, welcome to the family. And you are you by sheer grace. That's how you hear. But the grace. Also informs you to be sensitive to your brothers and sisters, who are now Jewish. And then, uh, it's highlighted here in Acts 15 that there's lots of synagogues everywhere, and Jews and Gentile Christians are going to have to get along and be sensitive to each other. Right? So how might this apply to my life? You're not only in a mo- you're not only in a- you're not in a democracy; you're in a monarchy. Then let love be your guiding principle in your dress, consumption of alcohol, uh, again, whatever it is that you would feel free to engage in, hang on, hang on. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. There it is. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So, how might this apply to my life? Get used to a monarchy. Love is the guiding principle, and don't be dominated by anything. And let me wrap this up. Delivering the ruling of the Jerusalem Council, verses twenty-two to thirty-one. Uh, now, these are going to be authorized representatives who go back to Antioch, right? Not just anybody can speak for the council, right? It's authorized representatives. So that's that's how it works with us. And uh, this is good government at work, um, and uh, they present this ruling. Uh, the Gentiles rejoice, uh, and uh, it concludes rather nicely. Right? They deliver the ruling. Now, this is not just a suggestion. Okay, this is this has binding authority uh, over these believers. So, if they really believe that King Jesus works through the structure of His church, uh, this. This is important and not just a suggestion, right? So uh, how might that apply? Delivering the ruling from the Jerusalem Council. How might this apply to us? Well, at some point, if you're a member of a a PCA church uh, in our our congregational life, um, there may be a decision that the elders make that you don't understand, need more information, would like more clarity on it. Uh, but I would really encourage you to know that elders work hard and take time and uh, interact with other elders. And if something, things are not always easy. If they're easy, if we could just turn to Ephesians three, it's right there. Oh, good, we're done with that. So there are co- there are complicated things. They need bib- biblical wisdom that needs real care to apply and so I would just encourage you to, when we think about just what is the message from this whole this whole chapter of Acts 15 there is a king, he has a structure for his church, are you within that structure join, join Trinity in membership are you within that structure of care, it's a structure of care right and the other area is to watch we all have this propensity to sort of be in evaluation mode with our brothers and sisters. Evaluation mode. Where are they coming from? Does this meet my standards? Wait, right. We're always in this evaluation mode. Preach Acts 15 to your heart. And sometimes we just stay in, a, in this evaluation mode because we don't fully grasp how great the acceptance we have that's in Jesus. You see, we really do pride ourselves in how we keep our life together, but we don't really focus that much on the one who had his life together and gives us his life. Make sense? So to break out of evaluation mode, we've got to realize that God has given us his grace in giving us the merit of Jesus. So let me conclude with this. Christ was excluded on the hill where he died. We've been included. Christ was left out. We've been brought in. Christ was an outsider. We have been made insiders. Christ gave his life for the nations. We haven't loved the world. Christ submitted himself to corrupt government. And we are under good government. And Christ was given a name that was bad. He was mocked. He was a fool on a hill. And what did we get? We got his good name, we got his status. We're in. We're in the kingdom. How might that change us? How might that make a difference in our lives? Let's pray. Father, for this gospel, we love you. We come to you as your church. We ask, oh God, you'd feed us now in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Brandon, come lead us in the Lord's Supper. Thank you, brother. We'll continue in the Lord's Supper here.